Exodus 14. Let's look together as we study. And uh, let me just kind of bring you up to date with where we are. In the, uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, chapter 12 and 13, Israel has left now Egypt. They've been in bondage for over 400 years to the Egyptians. Pharaoh is a picture of Satan who's holding them in slavery. Just as Satan holds us in slavery before we come to understand who God is and what, how God can deliver us from that bondage. And once you're set free from that bondage, then you begin this journey. So last week, God had led them out of the uh, land of Egypt into this right on the borderline of the wilderness. Now they're moving from the wilderness up to the Red Sea. So we're going to look together, chapter 14, and beginning in verse 1. It said, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may turn and camp before Piharathoth, and between Migdal and the opposite of Baal-Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. You know, the interesting thing is that you can read right through that and miss what he's getting, what he's really telling you. He brought them right up to the obstacle of their faith and let them camp. Now think about that. What happens in your life? You ever notice how God will bring uh, your obstacle, your mountain right before you, and it just stares you in the face? As if to say, I challenge you to believe God. And there are things in every one of our lives where we, God brings us to the edge of the wilderness. He brings us to the obstacle, the Red Sea. And he says, I challenge you to try to really trust God. And that's exactly what's happening here. And then it says in verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. If you're looking in your Bibles, just underline those two phrases there. The wilderness has closed them in, and they're bewildered. Because that really is kind of the, the words of a trial, is it not? You'll find yourself closed in on every hand, nowhere to turn, bewildered, trying to figure out what can I do? Your mind will run all kinds of scenarios, and you'll say to yourself, is there any way out of this? And you might even find yourself questioning God. God, what are you doing? Are you up to anything, God? And typically, you notice how God is always silent in the midst of your trials. That's because every test that God puts you through, he, he shuts down. He gets quiet and he gives you an open book test. He says, open up the book and get a word from me and listen to what I have to say. It says in verse 4 of God, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, it doesn't seem right for God to harden his heart so that they pursue. You see, God was the instigator of this pursuit. You'd think by this time, God would just say, hey, let them go. They're going to be fine. You know, they've already had enough struggles. But God says, no, there's one more journey you have to take. And it's a journey through the Red Sea. This is going to be a journey in the wilderness. And the Bible says in verse 5, Now, I was told by the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So they realized what's gone wrong. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, 
And he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out uh, in, into the wilderness with boldness. So what's going on in our story here is the pursuit is happening, and now they're going to face these obstacles of their faith. I want to give you, um, just as we begin this kind of study, we're going to read more as we go. I'm going to give you a couple of wilderness reports. Here's the first one. I gave it to you last week, and now I'm going to put it down so you can see it. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not even know it. Because when you're in the middle of a miracle, you've got to remember you're struggling. There's tough things going on. You don't know which way to turn. You don't know what to do in your life. Here's the second thing that you can find in the wilderness is that warriors are created in the wilderness. You see, if you're going to have the heart of a warrior, you can't have it too easy. You can't have everything go your way. And if most of us are honest, we'll say, well, very rarely does everything go our way. But sometimes we waste our sorrows in the middle of a wilderness. We don't allow God to have that perfect work in our heart in the middle of the wilderness. But if God is going to forge in you the heart of a warrior so you can face not only the trials you have today, but even greater trials, he's going to take you through a wilderness journey. You're going to find yourself coming up against obstacles all the time. You see, and when you read your Bible, you're going to find that crossing the Red Sea is a major turning point in the heart of Israel. In fact, all through the Old Testament, you're going to see that God is always going to bring them back. Israel's always going to bring them back to that point of remembrance. Do you remember when you crossed the Red Sea? It's the equivalent of the cross in the New Testament in terms of their memory. You look at the cross in the New Testament, you say it was all about the cross. It was there that we had a clear understanding of the power and the deliverance of God. And it's the same thing in the Red Sea. Israel will always look back and say it was there. It was the Red Sea crossing that we understood the power and the deliverance of God. The great difference between faith and unbelief is this. That faith brings God into our situation. And unbelief keeps him out. Faith brings God into your situation. But unbelief shuts him out. Sometimes we wonder, why is I'm not seeing more miracles? Why am I not seeing God do more? You've got to remember, God does not operate in our life in a, in a sphere of unbelief. So when you begin to think about it, what God is up to, God is about bringing you to the place of understanding faith and walking in it. With God, all things are possible. How many times have we heard that? There's only one problem with it. It's not for all people. Not all things are possible for all people because what happens is His power and His miracles are not available to everyone because faith brings the expectation of God's supernatural power followed by His miracles. So not all things work out to the good. God doesn't work all things out and do all things possible to those who step outside the zone of faith. But when you step into this world of faith, you'll begin to see God do something you've never seen Him do before. You see, first God brought them to the edge of the wilderness and now to the edge of the Red Sea. And all day and all night, they would have to stare at the obstacle of their faith. They would have to stay where they were. The geography is really interesting because they found themselves really in a place where they couldn't go right and they couldn't go left. Because of Pharaoh behind them, they couldn't turn around. <coughs> now the only way they can go is straight ahead. They would have to move. They would run out of options. They would either go forward and be killed by the Egyptians. <coughs> Excuse me. A little water would be great. <coughs> Anybody? 
got him from the Red Sea. <laughs> hey, brother. All right. I love it when everything goes wrong. <laughs> God said, yeah. That's what I hated when I created man. Everything went wrong. <laughs> sure, babe. Come on up We're going to try it again now, right? My wife gave me this coal. <laughs> Shouldn't have kissed her. <laughs> so the option was, they had to go forward. <clears throat> they had to trust God. You know, your option's so different. You really can't turn to the right or the left. You're out of the will of God. You can't turn around and run in the face of the enemy. You know that doesn't work. Every one of us has one option, that is to go forward with our faith. Faith builds momentum as you move forward. And so it would be in the life of Israel. See, the question was, would the sea move? That was the question. It was a haunting question. All night they would stand, they would camp, they would look across that Red Sea. They'd been hearing the word from Moses, the sea's going to part. It almost sounds like the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life. I'm going to show you just a minute some evidence of, of the Red Sea parting. It'd be fascinating to begin to drill down into what God does. You see, when God works miracles, sometimes they go against nature. Sometimes He cooperates with nature. But God always is working miracles. The question is, will the sea move? It's the same question we all ask when we've been brought to the edge of our faith. Will the obstacle of our faith, will it move? Will the resources be there? Which direction will I go? Will the obstacle move or will I perish in the midst of it all? Stop and think, would God have brought them that far for them to die at the edge of the Red Sea? And the same answer you just got from God is the answer that God is giving you. You think God has brought you this far to let you perish? Don't you think God had a purpose in all that he's doing and refining you and shaping you into the image of God? You think all is for nothing? You see, everything God is doing in your life today, He's doing to get you ready, not only for tomorrow, but for eternity. Because your divine purpose is not here and now, it's there and then. We are really aliens, the Bible says, on this earth. And as we live our life as an alien, we're going, we don't really fit in here. And when you try to fit in here too much, have you ever noticed how it feels uncomfortable? Because God wants you to feel uncomfortable because he's preparing you for something far greater. When you look at your scripture and you go back to it, notice what it says in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Whenever you look at the obstacle, you will grow fearful. Your faith will diminish. You have to keep the object of your faith ever in front of you. They said to Moses, verse 11, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us so to bring us out into Egypt? They're complaining. They're upset. They're, they're saying, Moses, I can't believe you did this. We could have died in Egypt. It would have been just fine. Why do we have to die here? Why do our bones have to just lie on the top of this desert after they kill us? really what they were saying. Their faith was low. 
Verse 11, it says, because there were no graves in Egypt. Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? When did they say that? When did they say, we like it here in Egypt? They only look, it only looked good now that they left. And they said, well, maybe Egypt wasn't so bad. Maybe being under dominion and being under the Pharaoh mayor, being oppressed was not so bad. And they forgot what was going on at that time. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still. Fear not. Stand still. I'm doing something is what he's saying. God is doing something here that you need to understand. And see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today shall, you shall not see anymore. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Stand still. It's what he's telling us to do. It's what God is telling you to do. Stand still. Wait and see the salvation of, of God. But you know, there's two different kinds of sights. Isn't there? There's a spiritual sight and a natural sight. You have to see things with the spiritual man before you can ever see it with the physical man. God has to create faith inside of you before God is going to act. He's telling us here in this first stop, idea is we have to be bold. We have to be bold. Last week I talked to you about some of the, the history of how we got to this place. And how we started out in, in a house and how we didn't, the next week we went into a, into a lobby of, a, of, a, of an industrial building. And then, and while I was there, I made mention of, a, of an 88-year-old grandmother who started, signed up as she put it to the Facebook. And I referred to her last week and she emailed me that night about 11 o'clock at night. She's probably here tonight. Marta, are you here? All right, Marta didn't get out yet. But she said, I was at your 4 p.m. service today and I heard you speaking about me when you talked about the 88-year-old woman. By the way, I'm up to 38 friends now and I shared with all of them your wonderful message about prayer last week. She started with four. Everybody needs to go friend her on Facebook. Do you notice how it said in verse 3 of this, what we've been reading? It says that the wilderness closed in behind them and they were bewildered. Closed in. This is what, what happens when you run out of options. This is what happens when you've tried everything and it hasn't worked. Nothing seems to be working. You talk to your close friends. You read books. You pray. You even cry. But trouble closes in around you. You don't know what to do. And then you find yourself bewildered. What do I do? Your mind doesn't seem to work right. You want to come to your senses, but you don't know how. You begin to think about all the what ifs. What if I'd have done this? Or what if I'd have done that? And your mind is flooded with all the random thoughts. You begin to wonder, has God abandoned me? And then you look into the scripture there in verse 2. And you have all these names of these places like Piharath. And Piharath is, in the Hebrew, is a place that means the place of liberty. They would know that. When they stopped in that place, they would be very acquainted with what it means. Did you ever stop to think that God brought them to the place of liberty at the edge of the, dead, of, of the Red Sea, and they're thinking they're going to die? And God says, no, this is where you find freedom. Real freedom is only found in faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, the Scripture says. We look to the things not which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen 
They're temporal. The things which are unseen, these are eternal. Corinthians chapter 4. If you begin to think about it, God hasn't abandoned us. God has brought us to a place of liberty. And when you confess with your mouth, this is a place of liberty. When you face your greatest trials, I want you to know God will begin to work in and through your life. You have to be able to say, when you face your trials, God, this is a place of liberty. Because you see, the onslaughts of the enemy, what he's trying to do, he's trying to bring you down. He's trying to confuse you. He's trying to tell you it's not going to work. Real freedom is when you run out of human options. That's real freedom. Real liberty is when you have no way to turn but to God. Do you notice there's another city there? Migdal. Migdal means a fortress or a strong place. God brings them right in between liberty and a fortress and a strong place. He reminds us that God is our strong tower in whom we trust. He reminds us that God is the one who is the keeper of our souls. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He watches over his children day in and day out. Everything was going well in the first step of faith. They had left Egypt. They had got all the, all the gold and all the silver from the Egyptians. They were out of Egypt. And then God, why did God do it? Why did he harden Pharaoh's heart? That doesn't even make sense. God sent the enemy then to pursue Israel. Why would he do that? Why does God increase pressure on your life? It doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, the scripture tells us that he might gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army. See, when God, when God takes you to the edge of your faith, guess what happens? Then God gets the glory over the enemy. He also is allowed to eliminate the human options in our life. Keep in mind that the faith predicament was designed by God. Here's something, but your faith predicament was designed by God. Job, who brought Job's name up? It wasn't Satan. It was God. Satan comes to God and he says to him, he says, you know, nobody's really serving you for the right reason. Everybody's serving you for the wrong reason. He says, well, have you considered my servant Job? You know, that's when you don't want God to remember your name. Are you kidding? You know, what about Bob and Bill and Ted and Tom or some or Methuselah or somebody? Not, not Job. Why would God do that? You know, Proverbs says the memory of the righteous is forever. But the memory of the wicked is like rottenness to the bones. See, we remember Job because he persevered. When someone's going through a tough time, what do you say? Well, you know, I feel like Job right now. The good news is there's 42 chapters in Job, and not just one or two. Because you want to see Job come out of it. You want to come out on the other, other end and say, I made it. God delivered me in the midst of all of that. Have you ever noticed how the stages in your faith? You see it right there in verses 10, 11, and 12. One of them is the direction of your faith. Which way are you going to look? They lifted up their eyes and they looked at the Egyptians. They looked at the Red Sea. Everything seemed to be going the wrong way. Then you begin to, next stage of faith is the questioning of your faith. There in verse 11. They said, are there no graves here in Egypt? Do we have to go this way? What about the forgetfulness of faith? You just saw ten plagues. You just got to walk out of the land of Egypt with all the gold and silver of the Egyptians. You've already forgotten the hand of God. 
Have you ever noticed how you can't remember the miracles of God in the past? All you see is what He's not doing or you think He's not doing in the present. Then there is the defeat of your faith. We give up. Better to die than go forward. And then you see the enslavement of your faith. I'd go back to Pharaoh. I'd just go back to bondage. I don't really care anymore. I don't want a hard life. I want an easy life. Verse 13. Moses says to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. When faith is not exercised, the promises of God bring no comfort to you. Have you ever been in a trial and someone says, Hey, you ought to read the Bible? Or here's a promise for you, and you know what you say? Yeah, yeah, I read that. Yeah, I know. That's what it says, all right. And you find yourself going, they don't mean anything because faith isn't being exercised in the middle of that. Faith must be tested in order to learn the sufficiency of God. Do not be afraid. Stand still. In the presence of a trial, stand still. Unbelief creates and magnifies the problem. Have you ever said this out with your mouth? God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm being overwhelmed. God, I'm struggling. I'm going through crisis. I'm going through difficulty. The words of your mouth are either life or they're death. Those words are death. They're not life. They're not words of faith. They're words of unbelief. We want to say, God, something like this. God, I'm going through a trial. You know that very well. Humanly, I can't go through it. But divinely I can. God, I'm going to pray your favor and your blessings and your power and your direction in my life right now. I refuse to doubt in the midst of my trials. I refuse to struggle unnecessarily in the midst of my trials. Faith, on the other hand, causes you to rise above the problem. Causes you to focus in on God and God alone. When unbelief is driven from the situation, God enters the room. How many of you want God to enter the room? I want God to enter the room. Your role is to hold your peace. Yeah, how do I hold my peace? I've got Egyptians coming up behind me. I've got the Red Sea in front of me. I've got all these problems on either side of me. How do I hold my peace? When you hold your peace, it's replaced fear with places with truth and life. The supernatural sight precedes the natural sight. They had to see God before they could see the river, see the, the Dead Sea open up. I love this quote from Smith Wigglesworth. He said, believe that when you come into the presence of God, you can have all you came for. You can take it away and you can use it for all the power of God is at your disposal in response to your faith. That's a powerful way to enter in, is it not? A powerful way to enter into the presence of God. In verses 15 through 18, notice what happens here. He's telling them to go forward. The Lord said unto Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of, of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, uh, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all the army of the chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor over myself and Pharaoh and all of his chariots. You see, we need to go forward in our life. I heard the story of a Texas billionaire. He had about 10 executives he was trying to train to take over his position. But he also wanted to do something extra for him. He had a beautiful daughter. 
And all these executives were single, and they all just thought the daughter was beautiful. So he told him, he brought him out to his ranch, and he set him down. He said, you know, I'm trying to figure out who's going to marry my daughter and who's going to be heir to all of my riches. And he's walking all across the ranch. They're just getting a vision of the greatness of all they had. And they looked down over the hill, and there was an Olympic-sized pool. So they all wandered down to the pool there, and when they got down there, the pool was filled with hungry alligators. It was a test of courage, he explained. He would grant his fortune to the man who would swim across that pool. As they stood there wondering about it, all of a sudden the, the Texas uh, billionaire turned away to begin to show him something else because he knew no man would try it. And all of a sudden he heard a man splashing in the water. He looked over and there was a man with a suit and a necktie on, swimming as fast as he could with alligators snapping at, his, at the back of his feet. He jumped out and got up on the, on the side of the pool there in the billionaire came over and he said, I've never seen such bravery in all of my life. I will give you my, my daughter's hand in marriage. I'll make you heir to all my fortune. Tell me, is there anything else you want? He said, yes, I want to know who pushed me into the water. <laughs> Sometimes you just feel like you've been pushed into the water. Filled with angry alligators. You don't know which way to turn or what to do. You find yourself closed in and bewildered. When you have nowhere to turn. When you, fight, when you feel like a slave and you've been put into bondage. When you're surrounded by people who all, all want to turn their back on you. When you only really have one real option, that's go forward. You see, faith was never meant to be lived in the past. People say, well, I remember what God did then. Doesn't matter right now, does it? Doesn't seem to help other, other than to say, I know God did something in the past, but what is God doing now? He's revealed as the I am. I am that I am. I'm everything you need right here and right now. He doesn't say, I, I am the was. I'm always present tense in your life. When you're surrounded, when you when surrounded by problems, you don't know which way to go. God is looking for men and women of courage, people who will lay claim to the promises of God. People who refuse to doubt, people who know that the God who brought them this far will not leave them or abandon them. Look at God's words to Moses. Why do you cry out to me? You ever felt sorry for yourself in prayer? I think we all have at times, haven't we? Just kind of just going, oh boy, I don't know what I'm going to do. God says to Moses, stop crying and act like a man. Stop crying and act like a man. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You know what I require of you. Go forward. You see, you're not ready to go forward until you've stood still. Then you see what God can do. God can't bless what you don't do. This week we had our first uh, meeting with our building team to kind of look into where we're going to go next. Kind of getting tired of this place. We've been here about three weeks now. <laughs> kind of used to moving every week, and so we've got some, uh, got some prospects and some things we're going we're gonna to look into. But we began our, our meeting with just recounting what God has done thus far. And how God has blessed, and how God has just opened up hearts to people. I began to tell you a story, and uh, I ran into BJ's Pizza the other night on uh, a Sunday night. And when I walked in, I was on the phone. My wife was already there with two other couples, and I ran into a couple, and I... I recognized them. I got off my phone real quick, began to talk to them. They were waiting for a table. So we've got room, come to our table. We sat down, we began to talk. 
And he asked some questions about God and science and Bible and all that kind of stuff. And we sat there and we, we, we met this week and started discipling. As we began to talk about some of these things about proof that there is a God. That science and God are not, not at odds. That whenever God speaks about science, the Word of God is accurate. I say that to people and they always kind of get a little curious. I said it to him, and he got a little curious. And I said, well, for example, it says in, in Isaiah and in Jeremiah also that God sets above the circle of the earth and he hangs the earth on nothing. How do you know the world was round 2,700 years ago? Well, it took scientists in the 14th century to figure that one out. How do you know that? And we began to dialogue, and he said, this is really good. You're asking a lot of great questions, and we ought to create a podcast out of this, and we'll probably be doing that. But I was recounting that story to the building team as we began to think and pray about what God can do. We really believe that we're on a journey of faith. That God is opening up some doors that we couldn't believe, even if we could, could imagine. He says to Moses in verse 16, he says, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand. That's two things he wanted to do. You see, the rod was a symbol of the power of God. But to stretch out your hand, why, well, that was your faith. That was your faith. I want to show you a map of, uh, of the, the land and the crossing where they went across the Red Sea. You'll notice that uh, last week they were up in Sukkoth up here in, in Egypt. And now they're making their way down. And they're right down at this point where they're getting ready to cross. What's interesting about that place, there's a gradual contour in the seabed there. It's about a half mile wide. On either side of it is called the Elat Deep. 3,000 feet below sea level. It's really interesting that scientists have even come up with a theory on how that water could actually divide itself. Seems that there's some very interesting things that happen with winds and currents in that area. There's actually been recorded times where you can actually see this contour during the day. That's an interesting thing, but what makes it more interesting is this next slide, if you'll take a look at it. This was found in the, in the tombs of the pharaohs, and what you can see is it's a, it's a four-spoke wheel of a chariot. What makes that interesting is it was only used in the 18th Egyptian dynasty. Translated 1446 B.C., the time of the Exodus. Which is interesting in and of itself, but what makes it more interesting is this next slide. It's a chariot wheel one of hundreds of them that are on the contour in the depths of the Red Sea. You say it's just a coincidence. Yes, it is a coincidence. Chariots normally do cross the Red Sea. <laughs> now, we don't have to prove scientifically or from an archaeology standpoint to validate the Word of God, but isn't it nice when science and Bible come together and they help us to understand something about this book that we have. You see, the purpose of God's miracles in your life and in the Word of God is to fulfill God's plan. It's also to demonstrate His great power. It's also, if you'll look with me in verse 18, it says, the chariot, Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. 
See, God was all about getting honor, getting praise, getting glory. About furthering His influence, just as you and I need to further the influence that we have for the kingdom of God in the lives of people. It is why we are here. It is our mission. That people might know our God and they might lift up the name of our great God. In Daniel chapter 11, it says this, The people who know their God will display great strength and take action. Those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. That's what God wants for us. When you know your God, when you really know God, you will display strength and you will take action. You'll not be ashamed of God. You'll take action. You'll have insight and you will give understanding to other people. That is, that is part of our missional commandment from God. You also should be able to expect a miracle in your life. You know, the Red Sea is a picture of death. Crossing that Red Sea, I will surely die, is what your mind says. But it's also a boundary line of Satan's power. You see, when you push across those obstacles of your faith, you know what you're doing? You're not only overcoming the death that seems to be taking you down, but you're also crossing the boundary line of Satan when he says, you can't do that. You can't do that. The Red, Street, the Red Sea destroyed the power of Pharaoh. And God will take your biggest obstacle and He'll turn it into a miracle. He will take your greatest fear. He will turn it into an object of courage. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Speaking of Christ, that He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through fear of death all their lifetime were subject to bondage. Apart from God, we're subject to bondage our whole life. You see, the cross is the object of our faith, isn't it? It's a crossing over line from unbelief to belief. The cross, it destroys the works of the enemy, Satan, death. Notice in verse 19, I love this scripture. It says, the angel of the Lord who went before the camp of Israel moved up and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and behind them. The angel of the Lord who went before them. It's something really great when, when the angel of the Lord comes up and camps behind you. He's got you covered. God is in front of you. The angel of the Lord is behind you. You know what Egypt's got? They had the death angel. See, when you leave bondage, what you do is you find life. Faith will propel you into all sorts of new opportunities. Faith comes in layers. Now think about this. Each layer is connected to the next layer, growing larger and larger, increasing the capacity of the dream that God has put in your heart. You begin to understand that you have access and power of God living in your life. You find that God doesn't place a limit on your faith. When did God ever say, that's too much faith? But what you'll do is you begin to see God taking your mustard seed kind of faith and he'll grow it into mountain-sized faith. And as you trust God, God will entrust you with more and more and more in your life. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. Create an appetite for the divine in your life. Create an appetite for the divine in your life. What is this going to create this idea, this God consciousness in your life? Say, God, I want you to show up in my life. Speak his name. God inhabits the praises of his people. Speak his name. Also, 
Transformed people transform. If you've been transformed by the power of God, then you have a responsibility to transform society, transform people, change people's lives. You know, we come to this uh, time of communion, which we, we have communion every fourth uh, weekend. When we come to it, it's, it's a time where we are, first of all, to examine ourselves. It's a time to purify our heart. It's a time we take the cup and we take the bread and we're reminded it's the blood and the body of Christ that we remember. When I take that bread and I eat it, here's what I'm saying. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. When I drink that cup, I'm saying, I believe the blood of Christ cleanses me from all sin. The warning is, don't take it in an unworthy manner. Meaning, don't take it without first examining your heart. And asking yourself the question, do I have any unforgiveness in my heart? Do I have any goodness in my heart? Am I in any way, am I in any way resisting what God wants to do in my life? And the good news is, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all sin. See, here's how long it takes for you to be cleansed. Forgiven. Some people say, well, I, I need to prove myself to God. You never have, you never will. He loves you in spite of the fact that you're not perfect. Which is really good news for all of us. Because all of us fall short, don't we? 